are you ready to get fired up? Because I sure am. Today, I have got one of my former mastermind friends and colleagues, Nicholas Bailey. Um, he is has been featured in Forbes. He's been recognized as uh, 30 under 30. He's built a billion, uh, not a billion, he's a, million, he's a billionaire body guy, but he's built a multi-million dollar company. And he comes from very very humble beginnings, which is one of the reasons that I just love him so much. He's a super great family man, has a beautiful, beautiful wife who I adore, a two and a half year old son, and he's getting ready to make the next one here pretty quickly. Let's get you fired up. Financially independent, retire early. If you're a small business, professional, or entrepreneur, and you're looking for a way to stand out amongst your competition, then this is the podcast for you. We focus on relevant digital marketing strategies and tools to help you stand out in your industry and become the market leader in your profession. Hey, we don't hold back on this podcast. We say it like it is. And sometimes you may not like what you're hearing, but I guarantee you, you'll know the information given is truly what you need to do to take your business to the next level. So hang tight because you're about to be fired up with me, Krista Mayshore. At Nicholas, thanks for being here. Yeah, you, I'm hardworking. I just told you I was hardworking at trying to make another baby with my wife. So no matter what I'm doing, I'm hardworking. But Krista, thank you for having me here. I was checking out the podcast. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. I was at one point, I'm sure we'll get into 60 pounds heavier than I am now. So just imagine that if you're listening on audio, but if you see me on video, 60 pounds heavier and no one had a podcast or YouTube channel or any of that stuff at the time. So I thought I couldn't change my situation. It wasn't until someone shared with me information that literally in one conversation shifted me on a different journey where I lost 60 pounds in six months. So I appreciate you for putting out valuable content so people know they can change their situation starting today, which is what I hope we can do only if we stay to the end, obviously. So stick with me and let's have some fun. So fun. Okay. So, I mean, I know how much 60 pounds is, is because when I work out, even if I, when I grab like two, five pound weights and I run with them, it's like, I can't believe how much heavier 10 pounds is. Or when I'm lifting like 15 pounds each, you know, it's like so much more weight. So to think about having that, and plus you're so fit and thin. I can't even imagine. I've seen you naked, not naked, but I've seen you with your bathing suit on, you and your wife both. Amanda, she has this most beautiful body too. So we see you guys competing and working out in your awesome clothes. It's amazing that you've done that. 60 pounds in six months is hard. Yeah. Plus I remember being 60 pounds overweight and I stepped on a skateboard and I was like, oh, like I used to skateboard before I was overweight. I must have some muscle memory. Little did I know I maybe had the memory, but I literally had no muscle. So I tried to do a trick on a skateboard. The very first time I tried to do something active again and I flipped out, the board went flying out and I broke my tailbone because oh. I just couldn't physically jump off the ground. And I, this bled to so many insecurities. The insecurity helped me gain the weight. Yet also the insecurities got amplified by the fact that I was overweight. And those insecurities stayed with me even when I got fit. So I want to put that into perspective that those insecurities like still needed to be at the root level taken care of if I wanted to break free from them. But I got to the point where I legitimately was taking scotch tape and I would have been the inventor of pasties, by the way, because now they call them pasties where you cover your nipples. But I was taking scotch tape and trying to tape down my man boobs because I was so embarrassed by the fact that I had grown these man boobs at such a young age. And I didn't know what to do about it. Right. They, they talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger. If you ever read his, I think it's autobiography, whatever one is like where you write it. And and he talks about that. He used to cover up his entire body. Think about this. All the best parts. 
like all of us in America, like especially me too, I'm like, I want a tighter shirt because I've been working on my biceps. So I want to show those biceps because that's, I'm like, man, these are looking good. He would cover up his whole body and only show his calves because he believed that if he could only see that weakest part of his body, he could actually change it. And I saw that was so polar opposite of me because I was trying to cover up every bad part of my body, sweatshirts, you know, scotch tape pasties, like, gosh, that would have been a great business idea. But anyway, I scotch table <laughs> and I was trying to cover myself up because I didn't think I could change my situation. And it wasn't until I saw the difference. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he knew he could change his situation. So he wasn't afraid of his weaknesses. He actually just stared at them. Like he made it the only thing that he looked at. I covered everything that was a weakness because I thought I couldn't change my situation. And obviously I could. So talk to us a little bit about, and I want to hear about your, I know about the upbringing with your dad and how you're raised, um, you know, pretty abusive, pretty hardcore. And but I want to hear from you, like what you've been able to, we've gone through, we're in a recession right now. We've gone through the pandemic. I mean, I've, you know, we've been friends for about four and a half years where I met you in the inner circle and, I, and we were kind of both growing our businesses together and kind of almost starting over at, at one point. Can you talk about, and I've seen you, I've seen you do like million dollar, you know, events and I've seen you just do so well. Can you talk to us a little bit about where you're at now? And then we're going to kind of work backwards on where, from where you are now to where you were and how you got where you are. Yeah. So I took all the weaknesses that I had. I talked about 60 pounds overweight. What I didn't talk about is I also never had a girlfriend all throughout high school years. And then all of a sudden I got married to my wife. I lost the weight and I still couldn't provide for my wife. I had never had a job, never gone to college, only graduated high school because I you know, basically went summer school the entire time. I took all those weaknesses and I created a company called Billion Dollar Brotherhood. And that's been my focus since 2016, has been growing this brotherhood of like-minded businessmen that all have these same qualities of wanting to be healthy, wanting to have a great relationship and family life while having that same commonality of running a business. So they have to have a pre-existing business. So right now I run a mastermind is my main core thing. That's what we call it a brotherhood. But for sure, it's kind of like a mastermind. I'm sure Krista runs like the best masterminds in the world. So you haven't gone to those. Go do it. And I run these brotherhood events inside of big mansions and hotel events. And I run three, four of these all over the, the US, all over the country. And so we have a mastermind of guys that all invest $20,000 a year to be a part of. And we've had that capped out. We have new people drop in, which is our way of filling them now. As you said, I've ran live events throughout the brotherhood. We also have our brotherhood club membership, which is like guys that are just starting out. And then we have all of our free content going out to all the guys. Recently, I took all the things that I was terrible at selling. I was terrible. I, you said I run these events now. I ran like 70 events that were not profitable before I figured this whole thing out through mentors that we have, like Russell, my mentor, Cole Hatter, uh, people like Peng June, people like Myron Golden, people like all these amazing people that equipped me. And I realized I'm like, man, I was so terrible at this. What's the thing that I could tangibly bring out there to the world that could really help people? And I launched something called BDS, which is billion dollar sales. And I was like, oh, I'll take keeping that same brand. But how do I help other people that had a passion like I did? But it was really that inability to be able to communicate it where people take action that kept me from changing people's lives. Because the same product and thing I was preaching for years that no one bought was the same thing that I preached from stage, just in a different way with the correct format. And with that format, people actually took action and got a transformation. So that was a new endeavor that we have going on right now where I've been training and equipping the business owner to be the number one salesperson in their company, kind of like Elon Musk. Like the, he doesn't sit there and take calls for Tesla trying to sell cars. When they go to the dealership, you don't need a good salesperson because they've already been pre-sold before they ever get there. So I've done tons of case studies. I had my father-in-law sell for me. He sold 200 
we'll call it 200 conservative, 200K in two days for me. And he said it was the easiest thing he's ever done. He comes from IT project management for 50 years. Because they were already pre-sold. You, you won before yeah, you just, just like you did. You, you, you speak, you have the right message, you have the right training, you have the right process. And so that it's not about the phone script, right? Everyone's so focused on the sales call. Well, guess what? You need a good salesperson to get the product selling but you need a good product for it to keep selling. The only way you need a hardcore salesperson is if your product sucks after people already get it. Like you never see a really great product have to have a guy hard sell it after they've created momentum, maybe you in the I, beginning. We have but, to literally have an appointment that we make after this, like for an hour or two, we should talk because like, God, you saw the data that I have. It's unbelievable as far as all this. And I'm, I've been obsessed with, I've done 22 virtual events over so the impressive. past 16 months, 22, and they're two and a half days long each. And we, we track like everything we're, we're, we're neurotic about it. we've done, we average about like 1.5 a million a month. We did our best month was 4 million in, in uh, February, so amazing. but it's like a million a month. And it's, it's, and it's because we have a great product, but also because the biggest thing that we have to overcome is getting people to believe in themselves. That's, that's the hardest part. And the scary 100%. thing is, is that the belief goes away so quickly. Like from the time I make the offer to the time they actually, if I don't get them on the phone within 48 hours, by the time Friday comes, cancellations uh, increase um, like crazy. And then uh, conversions decrease because people are already have forgotten. They already have disbelief in their self, which just shows how in, you know, these things are ingrained in us that we can't do it. And so I want to get to that. Okay. A hundred percent. Plus I, I want to hear this. I, I'm, I'm a student first and yeah, foremost. We'll do that later. We'll do that later. Cause this is, my group is totally different. They're not, they don't do, you know, they're, they're most real estate agents, lenders, entrepreneurs, they're not holding events. So totally. But I mean, the fact that you are and that you do and you've come from, talk to me a little bit about your upbringing because so many people will use an excuse. And I'm sorry, everybody, I know we have reasons, but I believe reasons are just excuses that why we can't do something or as to why we can because everyone has reasons and excuses, right? So you might think it's a good reason, but let's talk a little bit about it. And it's crazy to me at how sometimes like you see the most people that should be, they were born in good families. They have great socioeconomic backgrounds. They, you know, they're born to this financial, wonderful, loving parents and they are, you know, drug addicts and they can't keep a job. And then you have people that have been like Tony Robbins and Oprah Winfrey and quite frankly, even us at times where we've, you know, gone through abuse and, and these things and, and these people just seem to prosper. There's, there's things in common, but talk to me a little bit about where you came from. Yeah, the one thing to, to realize is that even my story that I'm about to tell would be something that another kid would have prayed to have, right? A lot of times people reframe problems by saying there's people right now that are praying for your problem, right? Yeah. Like you're growing a business, that's stressful. But there's people out there that are praying that they had that problem over a poverty problem or a uh, a family danger problem. The one thing I want to push, point out, like you talked about with problems or setbacks or things that are shortcomings for us that we use as excuses is that perception is reality. So there's things that I've taken back to my family and I've gone, hey, when I was 10 years old, this happened to me and this was super hurtful. And they're like, we don't even remember that. Like, yeah. oh, I, I didn't even I didn't even mean it that way. And, and the I thing is, that. that's totally fine. They might be true, but, but the fact that you thought it was that way, your perception is your reality. Yes. So though it may not be true to them, it was true to you. So it's totally cool if you felt that way, even though you might've been wrong. How often does that happen? And one thing to write down is discern, uh, assumption. This is so good. Assumption is discernment from the devil. I thought that was so, I used to literally assume what people thought and were saying all the time. Oh, this person, they didn't say hi to me. They must not like me. Oh, they must think, they must be upset at me. 
I was assuming, and I was saying that it was like discernment. Oh, like I know something that I, I can read people. Nah, dude, that's called just not communicating and getting clarity on what people mean. And usually it's terrible discernment. So for me, yeah, I grew up in a place where for me, it was difficult. Other people, it may be a, a blessed life that they would have prayed for. My parents broke up when I was about four. And the only reason that they fought was legitimately because of me. Like they said, when I turn 18, they were never going to talk again. And just think about as a kid, when you're stuck in the middle of two parents that absolutely hate each other, which is so weird because at one point they loved each other. And it's like, that's a, a amplified through hate when they get broken up. So I wrote my first suicide letter when I was seven, because I just wish I wasn't alive because I was the source of all problem. Could you see how that would be like yeah. common to, to believe? And I struggled with the anxiety so bad that in third grade, I legitimately had diarrhea every day. Like to the point where I, my teachers thought I was kidding. Like they thought I was trying to ditch school. And so just imagine how much that amplifies anxiety. I didn't even know what anxiety was. I didn't even know there was an issue. I logically had no clue why this was happening to me. But every day I went to school, get a massive stomach ache, and it was so embarrassing, amplifying anxiety while there was tons of problems inside of the home. And really all I wanted was my father's approval, like straight up. And maybe people can relate to this as well as like, I just thought if I could just do enough, if I could just jump my motorcycle high enough, go fast enough, do well enough in school, I would try all these things just to get my father's approval. And it came down to this moment where I was 13 years old. And I remember being in my, my bedroom that was down the hall from my father. He always used to go down to the garage and that's where he would like smoke and drink and, and no, <laughs> no offense to him, but you know, my stepmom would be like, he'd come out and he'd like hide the beer. And I'd kind of have to be like, yeah, we're not doing anything out here. I was yeah. the kid that was like, you'd see the secondhand smoke floating in the garage. I was the kid that was like inhaling <laughs> secondhand smoke growing up. Like that was my upbringing. Again, my dad didn't know who, who knows. And I used to hang out with my dad back there and that's where we would bond. And I finally went all in just like young kid trying to go all in on getting my father's approval. And his goal in life was to be a motocross racer and his dad never supported him. So it's cliche story, especially for baby boomer father who had a paper route to pay for his motorcycle his dad only went to one of his races and he crashed and he felt shameful about it and the best thing he ever got for christmas was a tire for the motorcycle right cliche baby boomer story your baby boomer apologies but this is just how it is and and my father then imparts that dream to me but I didn't sit here desiring it, salivating over it for 30, 40 years. So when I get everything that my father would have wished for, and I'm not grateful for it, that makes him piss. Could you imagine like you, you've wanted something your entire life? So you go, oh my gosh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give this to, give my, this to my son. Yeah. Like as if I've been sitting here freaking desiring it my entire life. When a motorcycle shows up on the porch, I'm like, what's that? Does it <laughs> run? Like what, what, why do I care? You know, and then that makes them super frustrated. So I go to my dad. I'm like, dad, I want to be the best motocross racer in the world. Put all my faith in that moment. And he looks at me and says, I'll never be the best. And it absolutely destroyed me. Like I didn't even care to live. I literally went from a three point something GPA, 3.5 GPA to a 1.8. Never paid attention throughout all of high school. That's when I gained the 60 pounds. Stopped talking to my dad for three and a half years. I have to listen to my dad bang on my mom's door because they're separated and I'd act like I wasn't home as my dad sitting there screaming for hours, banging on the door. And I was so back asswards, straight up. Like I used to think my dad didn't believe in me from going to things like EMDR and therapy. Like, man, that was my reality. But my father used to push me so hard riding motocross 
and I thought he didn't believe in me. But just think about this logically for a second, because each one of us have these like these limiting beliefs on our life that just like you were talking about, Krista, there's people that literally come into your events. They need what you have. They want to grow their real estate business. They want to grow their mindset. They want to grow their income. They want to get to this financial independence. And they come in and they don't take advantage of the very thing that they have in front of them, but they go drop $5,000. I just don't do it. Yeah. They drop five grand on vacation. They, they do $1,500 car payments while they sit there and they can't provide for the thing and get the education that they actually need. This self-sabotage. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, if I crashed on a motorcycle, this is like a physical sport. My dad would have to pay for the medical bills. So if he didn't believe in me, why would he push me so hard if the reward of pushing me hard was crashing? Like if I wasn't good, I would crash and he'd have to pay for it. And I, I had this epiphany that I was like, even if he's just selfish, he would have never pushed me in motocross unless he thought I could do it. Because why did, why did he tell you you're never going to be good in motor, be the best? So that, that's a really good question. I look back now and I've gone through this moment a lot. I mean, this used to make me cry. Even at 20 something years old, the first time I ever cried was when I told in front of my wife, the first time I ever cried was telling that story in front of a group of entrepreneurs because I was telling them why I got fat, which was actually what built my business after was that I didn't just share I was fat. I shared the emotions of what I went through that made me make the decisions that made me fat. And that's what people connected with. They connected with that story because they're like, I find myself in that story. But the reason he said it is because he was just like, Nicholas, it's unrealistic if you are only happy, son, if you're number one, because one day you might be number one. And the next day, someone may beat you. You will not be number one every single day. And I had this mindset that if you were not first, you're last. Like Ricky Bobby, Talladega Knights. I thought that was gospel. I, I thought second place, there's not even a reason. If you were to tell me, Nicholas, you could be as good as second place in motocross in your whole life. When I was 12, 10 years old, I would have been like, why even do it then? The so you ended up doing motocross works. and you ended up practicing and making it a part of your life, even though you didn't love it. You did it for your dad. Oh, I still loved it. Just I didn't sit there and desire it the same way that he did. So when I get a new motorcycle, because that's what he would do, the, everything that he wanted, I just didn't react the same way as him. And that was super frustrating, I believe, for him because he would have acted differently. And I believe we all do that as parents. You know, we try to do something. My son's two and a half. So I haven't experienced this yet, but I'm sure there's things that I'm like, man, I would have wished like even the food that he eats, like this kid's bulky, right? He's like getting shredded. He's eating grass fed beef. He's eating liver like in his shake, like we blended in all these different things. Your I'm son like, or you, my son. Oh my God. Gross. Like, like it's, it's, it's like tablets, you know, you like put it in there and, and like open it up and put it in a shake, but he can't taste it, but he's getting all these nutrients. I'm like, man, I would have, I would have wished that my family did that for me. Like I, I was eating those little cereal bars. I was getting overweight. Like I didn't know what to do about my situation. And there's things that we wish we would have had when we were kids, but we can't expect our kids to react the way that we would have reacted because we've salivated again. Like how do you create desire? You think of something, you dream of something enough that you visualize it where it becomes a reality. The same way that if you take a lemon right now, a figurative lemon, and you act like you're, well, since Krista said she's seen me naked, act like you're making love <laughs> to this lemon. You're like eating the lemon. If you think about it long enough, you will salivate. Do you have a lemon? Absolutely not. But your brain doesn't know the difference. So when you dream of something in your mind, you can actually experience something where you can tie an emotion to it. Think and Grow Rich would say it is something like a, a goal that hasn't been emotionalized is just a wish. Like you just, oh, I want to have that car in that house or live that lifestyle. 
if you never think about it long enough to emotionalize it and feel it, then it's just a wish. But if you can feel it, it almost becomes like a memory. And when you think about that much for a dream that you have when you're a, you're a child growing up and then you want someone else who's never dreamed about it, never salivated about it, never sat there and contemplated it their whole life, it's just a really bad expectation to have on kids. So I'm hoping not to do the same thing, but what, what, what do parents do? Parents consistently do one of two things. They parent the same way that their parents did, even if they try to do the opposite, whatever you focus on, you gravitate towards. So if you try to be just the yeah. opposite of, of a bad person, you're going to be the bad person because all you're focused on is the bad person. Or they do the exact opposite of what their parents did in every way. They didn't give me clothes. I'm going to buy my kids clothes. They they it's made me work. I'm not going like to I wonder why my kids aren't as appreciative enough. And it's because I didn't have all these things growing up. And they're so used to getting it all and having it all that I'm like, oh, they're not appreciative. They're not working hard enough. They're not because they've they've been there. They feel different about it because they've just it's just expected and it's been it, you know, so a million percent. It's true. And I have to tell myself, it's my fault that they're like this because I've created these little monsters, you know, that in a good way, but I've created it for, for them. I am so excited about our challenge that we're doing right now to help you get through your stumbling box, to get you excited and motivated and happy and to create more wealth, success and happiness in your life. It is free. It's 21 days long. You can join at any time. Just go to limitlessprosperity.com. That's limitlessprosperity.com. I will be teaching live every single day from 8 30 a.m. Pacific until 9 a.m. Pacific. Then we have accountability coaches to help move you forward and get you the results that you need. So just go to limitlessprosperitychallenge.com and I will see you there. Totally. And I don't know the answer to that. So I, yeah. I, I've seen, again, like I've seen- Be careful people. now that your son is so young. Don't give him everything because make him work it for it, man. You, 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 the more harder you work for things, the better you'll, you'll be. If I give one shout out to someone that I actually think is doing this really well, there's a guy named Brian Deegan from the motocross world. There's never been someone in the sport of athletics of motocross that's grown up in a prosperous family that's done well. Really? It's, been a, it's been a sport that unless your family leverages their house, sells it all, and goes on the road for the child and puts that immense pressure, unless they do that, if they just have all the money, none of those kids make it. And what Brian Deegan has done is he's become a multi, multi-millionaire, lives in California, has beautiful kids. His daughter is like races NASCAR. She started racing when she was like 17. Woman, NASCAR racer. And then his son right now has a pro deal for motocross. And you'll see them every single day. He could pay for people to take care of his huge property, his mansions. He has multiple homes and his kids are out there scrubbing their bikes, cleaning up the yard, driving the tractors. And he's been able to have a prosperous environment and also teach the kids super disciplined, hard work. So I, I follow that guy specifically because I'm like, man, I don't know how you've done this. You've you've raised up these kids that are prospering without just taking everything away. Right. It, yeah. it didn't make them like slum it and like kick them out of the house and not show them any love. Uh, in, in the Bible, it says that a, a child with a father without discipline, a father that does not discipline the child is like an orphan. So even if you have a father in the house, that's a disciplinary or a mother in the house, that's dis, that, that is there, but isn't disciplining right out of love, yes. like disciplining, not, not bashing, not hitting, not controlling, it not any of that, not violence, that, that it's as if you're an orphan. Isn't that insane? 
it's as if you're an orphan if you have a mother and father that love you but don't discipline. And I've seen him do it do it correctly. There's also a guy named Seth Dahl that I've brought into all of our men's events. Phenomenal teaching the difference between discipline and punish punishment because a lot of times it's hard to know the difference. What's yeah. the difference between discipline and punishment? Absolutely phenomenal. I've seen this guy live it out in his own life. It trips me out. It is so polar opposite to what I've ever been taught before. I have guys crying in my events saying my, my family will never be the same again. I will never parent the same again because of what you just taught me. Super impressive. And, but, and oh, I, I would love to meet that guy. Maybe he'll come and do a little training for my people. I love oh, yeah. that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And I think he could probably put that towards relationships, even all the little tidbits that you meet. I bet you, you it'd go good to her. Because I know you. So tell us a little more about your men's groups. So you've got... The, the, the mastermind events, 20,000 to be a part of your mastermind. How many events do you get to go to? So we do three a year. And that's because a lot of times I rent big mansions. So all the guys sleep in one house, which is a big differentiator than, than any other style mastermind. Because if you have a co-ed mastermind, you better not be having everyone stay at one house. You know what I'm and saying? How like, many, how many um, people come usually? 40. We have 40. Okay, so 40. Yep. So we have 40 guys that come to every single event. Uh, generally, the way that we fill them again is is through having new people come and experience them. So if someone can't come, we then fill that spot with a drop in. They invest to come. If they love it. Then they can be a part of the event afterwards, and they can choose to invent uh, invest in the annual membership of the mastermind. Um, but we don't require it. And the whole point again was that this was my issue. It was like I was sitting there by myself, struggle. I realized that as a man. There was three or areas of my life that I could not outsource. I didn't know that they were the three core markets and that Russell Brunson would blow them up and everyone knows all this stuff. I thought I had this revelation moment where I'm like, my gosh, like when I'm focusing on my business and I don't care, take care of my health, no one's going to eat, sleep, drink, breathe, work out for me. So I better get good at it. But how many business owner men, especially that we know, because women are great at balancing things. Like women no, are phenomenal. I disagree. I don't think there's anything. I think balance is BS. You, because well, you they're, they're, on, they're, they're, you women care on. about women care about these things. Like they already have value. If I were to tell a woman, hey, do you want to be great with family, with your with your body and your health and make money? They're like, yeah. For the guys, we're like, if I can make more money, then That's that'll solve job. all my problems. Yeah, I get like, it. Yeah. If I just make more money, then everything will be good. And I've gone through this a ton of times. I catch myself still do it. I'm like. I'm sacrificing my body, my family on the altar of success. And I think that the, the happier that men are with their marriages and their relationships, the more they, pro in fact, it's the more they prosper. At Unless work, they're they, insane. Yeah, like when I'm in a fight with that. my wife, you think I want to work when I'm in fight with my wife? No, I sit down. I'm like, what do we need? We work together. I don't want to show up and do a podcast interview if me and my wife are fighting. Like what? What, what, that's not fun. Like you're saying, when me and my wife are connected together in, in, in taking two of our visions, because both my wife and I, we have two different visions that we've created into one like-minded vision, and we use our skills, talents, and abilities to get to that core vision for the family. And when we're in that alignment, I'm coming into this interview feeling on top of it. I have nothing in the back of my head thinking about, oh, yes. am I incongruent? Right. And I have the ultimate accountability. I run a men's company that reaches a million plus men every single year, preaching the message of health, wealth, and relationships. No one's going to have sex with your wife for you. So you should probably get good at it, communication, et cetera. No one's going to eat, drink, breathe, sleep for you. You should probably should figure that out. 
and no one's going to cast the vision for your company for you. No one's going to produce the money for you. No one's going to manage the money for you. You can put people in place, yet there's things in your life that cannot be outsourced. And I truly believe that as a man, because I only know what it's like to be a man, uh, at least for right now, I know some people have opinions about that, but I only know what it's like to be a man. And so because I speak to the man, I say, these are the areas that we cannot outsource. We cannot get rid of. And if we do not do anything about them, we will fail. There's many guys out there that go, Nicholas, tell me what to do with my health, man. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, dude, like no matter what I tell you, you still have to do it. I can't move for you. I can't just sleep for you. That you can talk about and, and, and we have to wrap it up here because we're already gone over, which has been so amazing. But what are tools that you can give that like for someone that's trying to pursue health and it's like they're trying to change their eating and they're, they've had these habits of, 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 of overeating, being excessive, you not like how, what, what are some tools and strategies that you can give? Cause you've lost 60 pounds and you're already thin. Like, I can't even imagine you 60 pounds heavier. I've, I've seen pictures. I'm like, that is not you. You know, what, what are some strategies you, you can give people? So this is actually very interesting because this is what I teach in sales. I would sell yourself. Right. And if you actually follow this process, I, I, I have a, a free downloadable. It's called nicholasbarely.com slash script. Uh-huh. And it, it take, it's a sales script, but use it on yourself. This is the way to do it. Because if you do not increase, Chris, let me ask you a question. What do you think the worst pain in the world is? The uh, worst pain. Worst pain. I think, honestly, it's like. I'm, put, I'm putting you on the spot, by the way. No I one's ever gotten right. For me, like the worst pain that I have is like when I'm disappointed in myself cool. or. You know, when I, when there's something that I know I could achieve that I still haven't like mostly like disappointment, you know, disappointment. These are like phenomenal. And if anyone wants to give a, a, a guess as well, so that Chris doesn't feel like called out right there, no one's ever got it right. I never got it right. Uh, Cause disappointment that could really motivate you as well. The worst pain in the world, especially when it comes to selling yourself is chronic pain. And so this, the, the oh, script, yeah. the chronic script pain. takes you through taking you from a chronic pain to an extreme pain. Meaning that if someone has a chronic pain, like a back pain. It never goes away. It never goes away, but they never will invest to fix it because it's just not bad enough. So they will live with back pain for 40 years because it's just not bad enough that they will invest to fix it. But if they break their back, or let's go extreme, they get shot. Let's say I get shot just so that no one thinks, oh, don't say that, but I get shot. I'm not gonna look at the closest ER and figure out the best prices. I'm not going to try to <laughs> DIY it at my house. That's a you're 10 not, out of 10. You're not going to hire the general practitioner. You're going to the guy that fixes shots. And as fast as possible without even looking at the bill. Why? Because I'm at a 10 out of 10 pain. See, the, the biggest thing is, like you said, people know something that they could be doing right now in their health, in their relationship, with their kids, and in their business to go forward. The problem is they're not doing it. Why? Chronic pain. It's just not bad enough. And so my goal is to push a screwdriver into your chronic pain until it is so bad that you absolutely have to move. And that's why I say nicholasbailey.com slash script. It walks you through like, what is questions that you could ask? Of course, a prospect, but do it on yourself. Say, all right, how long have I been wanting to get healthy? Wanting, just wanting. Maybe it's 10 years. Maybe it's 20 years. You just maybe don't know what to do, but you've been wanting to do it. Okay. How long have you been actually trying to get healthy? Buying programs, going to the gym, trying to starve yourself. Like we've all done it all. Maybe you say two years, start projecting. If you continue down that route, what will life be like in a year? I do this for myself now. I skip the gym and I go, let me go back to the script. The same script I used to sell, let me sell myself. I say, Nicholas, if you keep missing the gym like this, where will you be in a year? Like, man, I'm gonna be uncomfortable in my clothes again. 
I'm not going to be practicing what I'm preaching. I'm not going to feel like I'm a great example for my son. I go, great. How does that make you feel? Well, I feel like a, like a bump on a log. It sounds terrible. Great. Where, how will you be in five years? And I go deep down this rabbit hole where I feel so disgusted, even though I'm only a day in a day into the problem that that disgust then gets me to move and transition into filling a dream bank for myself, which is let's say you did go to the gym today and you just did it today over and over again. What do you think life will be like in a year? How will you feel in a week? What will you look like in five years? What will that experience be? And those two polar opposites will draw out extreme motivation as well as right now, how can I get someone out of chronic pain? Because that's what they're in. That's why it's not nice. I had a friend call me 11 months ago, Krista. When you saw me doing 75 hard, it was right before that. Called me and said, Nicholas, what's up with the dad bod? You're getting fat, dude. You are never getting fat. You, you, you think that that felt good though? Like, that nothing about that felt good. I didn't even message him back. I sat there, was depressed all day because I went from chronic pain. No one notices. It's not a big deal to, wow, this really hurt me. And I literally went to the gym that day. And then I thought, what if I go on a run or walk afterwards? And I thought if I read 10 pages and drink water and don't need a cheat meal, I'll do day one of 75 hard. And then literally after day one, I never stopped for. Okay. So are you still doing two workouts today? I did. I did it the 75 hard too, which by the way, it was very hard. And yeah. it was that's almost, why it's called 75 hard. Yeah. I know. But even, even like drinking the water, like I've almost already drinking a gallon of water today. It's not even good for me. They said something with my electrolytes. I'm not supposed to drink a gallon of water a day, but I'm totally brave it, but I'm totally getting off, off the point. But okay. So let me ask you a question. I love what you just did. Can I have permission from you to use that on my challenge with people? I'm going to walk them through that. Is that okay? A million percent. Take the script too. Like, okay. uh, like nicholasbailey.com slash script has this, the, the question. I already, I'm already, look at, I already, I already am on there. Cool. But the, <laughs> but also, also I put a video where I walk through each one of the questions. So it okay. makes more sense. I do it in a sales format, but also that's the exact script that I use on myself. So yeah. when I'm feeling like uh, I'm, a, I literally went on a bike ride today, Krista. 104 degrees outside. I cycled for about 45 minutes uphill and I'm sitting there and I, I, I was doing some gratefulness. I was like, I repent for not being as good of a father as I could be, as good of a husband as I could be, as disciplined as I could be, as visionary in my business as I could be. If I continue going down this path, what will life be like? And I'm like, I know I won't reach my potential. You just told me that not reaching potential uh, disappointment or really hard things. I, I, I increase the disappointment and then I flip the script. And I flipped it to, if I do hit this bike ride, if I show up for my family tonight, okay. if I show up present to my date night with my wife and I don't complain about, I'll, I'll take clients out to dinner for five, 20 grand. And then sometimes I complain because I'm like, well, we keep going out to date night and it's pretty expensive. Like, and I'm like, is my wife worthy to invest in? Like, is my marriage worthy to invest in? Or is it only when I get an ROI? from taking my clients out to dinner. You get an ROI. I know Amanda's going to be like enjoying that. You're going to get some good stuff when you get home. Yeah. <laughs> There's an ROI for sure. Not dollars, but. Especially um, if you buy her a good glass of wine, you know? <laughs> 100%. So again, sometimes we need those reality checks because I don't do it perfect, but does that mean that it's not true? No, like our wife and relationship is worth investing in. Our body is worth investing in. Yeah. And sometimes we need to call ourselves out, follow the script. And ask yourself these questions. Where do you want to be in 12 months? How long have you been wanting to solve this problem? Well, how long have you been trying to solve the problem? What have you done so far? Why hasn't it worked? If you continue down this path, what will life be like? And dig into it until you're from chronic pain to extreme pain. 
And then you'll probably go to someone like Krista and invest everything to work with her. And then you'll probably see your business and life transform. That's what the podcast is all about. Ooh, I love it. Okay. So listening to your podcast again. Uh, Billion Dollar Brotherhood is the name of the podcast. Billion Dollar Brotherhood. And if you go to Nicholas Barely, and it's N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-B-A-Y-E-R-L-E.com slash script. You can get a script. I already have it up. And you can work yourself through that when you're either wanting to do something or not wanting to do something to like think about how you can improve in your life. And one really small thing that I do every day is I ask myself when I'm thinking about doing something or not doing something, I say, is this going to make me be a better X, a better wife, a better coach, a better, you know, mother, a better, I just say, is this going to make me better? Like when I, it's all I have to ask myself and it's like, the answer is no. And I just started doing that in the past 30 days. And I've made some really big, huge changes to be quite honest. Nicholas, this was awesome. I totally appreciate it. Yeah. Thank um, you. Can I, can I, can I praise you? Because you, you're just talking about, you did $4 million, 1.2. I saw your post with you and your husband making each other a priority, your family, your body, uh, I've I saw you at FHL working out, doing your two workouts, et cetera. You've done all these things and you still today even said, does this grow me? Does this cause me to be a better wife, mother, leader? Does this grow? The, like, does it grow you? And I think that's super impressive. And if there's any takeaway anyone could have here, it's that Krista is still saying that even after she's accomplished everything she has. So thank Aww, you. you're so cute. Well, same with you. Like you're like, I mean, I, I love to, how you put so much focus on your marriage and it's just, you can see, I mean, I see the two of you and it's not like, he's not faking it. He really puts focus on his marriage, put focuses on his family and his business. And in fact, when I saw you at FHL, you were like, right now I'm kind of cutting back on business guy. I need to take care of myself. Cause you were yep. like, you noticed you were kind of out of balance and out of whack. And I, and I, I love that. And with that being said, I don't remember. I think we talked about it. No one's ever in balance. Like you have to put attention where tension is yep. everyone. Nicholas, thank you so much. Go to nicholasbarely.com slash script. Grab that. I'm going to do that with my students. Um, I appreciate you so much. I'm going to be on your podcast pretty soon. I cannot wait for that. And go look at his stuff. If you're a man, you have to be a man. Go check out Nicholas's stuff with the menhood. I know it works. I know he does it. He's very passionate about it. And I'm just going to leave you with this. Remember, knowledge is not power. Implementation and execution is. So take what you learned today and go apply it to your life. Thanks, everybody. I am so excited about our challenge that we're doing right now to help you get through your stumbling box, to get you excited and motivated and happy and to create more wealth, success and happiness in your life. It is free. It's 21 days long. You can join at any time. Just go to limitlessprosperity.com. That's limitlessprosperity.com. I will be teaching live every single day from 8 30 a.m. Pacific until 9 a.m. Pacific. Then we have accountability coaches to help move you forward and get you the results that you need. So just go to limitlessprosperitychallenge.com and I will see you there.